0: Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Broad Eye podcast. I'm Dr. Bruno Fernandez, and today I have the pleasure of having Ariel Kao, President and CEO of InjectSense. How are you doing, Ariel? Good to have you here.
1: Very good. Thanks for having us today. Uh, really glad that we uh, can discuss this important topic.
0: No, indeed. And uh, just to put things into contact for our audience, you're developing a device that uh, I mean, of course, we're going to talk more about that. And like, I mean, just to explain how I'm particularly interested in you on the, on the show today. And uh, like, I've, I've done my resident ophthalmology like about, like maybe 20 years ago. And then I remember like seeing those glaucoma patients, and then we measured their IOPs. Which stands for intraocular pressure, like twice a year, you know, and yeah. then like knowing how much like those IOPs fluctuates like by the minute, like I mean that's mm-hmm. definitely not enough. So like I really appreciate that mm-hmm. finally you're gonna have something more high tech like to, to to manage and follow up those patients.
1: Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think clearly you you pointed out the uh, the scarcity of, of the information to to support the. uh, uh Basically, the tracking or, or the therapy. This is kind of, in fact, the uh, the anomaly or <clears throat> that we um, we have been kind of identifying almost a decade ago and try to address.
0: Cool. Okay. So before we talk about the things, let's talk about the people, <laughs> you know, like I mean, behind the things, which are always like more important. Let's talk about about yourself. Like uh, guide us like through your journey, and then like I, I've seen you've done a lot of things before. Uh, uh, starting like inject sense so let us know you.
1: Yeah, so it's, a, it's been a long journey. Uh, I'm originally from France um, and uh, basically uh, it was clear for me uh, in my 20s that uh, a better place to be would be uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, so I started uh, as an IC designer, um, got my way through uh, you know different uh, startup, uh, as a side note, I started a company uh, at nineteen years old when I was in, in France. So I had already a uh, pretty strong interest to uh, to start, you know, an entity on a particular topic, um, and then that kind of gives me uh, I would say, a sense that a better place to do it would be, obviously, uh, in Silicon Valley. Although other places could uh, could allow that. <laughs> and uh,
0: sorry to interrupt, but IC stands for for what exactly?
1: Integrated circuit.
0: Okay. Yeah. So not necessarily implantable devices, it's more... No, than-
1: it's uh, basically, I see, we'll also call that uh, ESIC, which is Application Specific Integrated Circuit. Um, basically, it's uh, uh, anything that is dealing with electronics, like you have on your cell phone, on your cars, on your TVs. Uh, those are basically semiconductor devices that are produced you know, by the billions, uh, as you see today. So, yeah, my background has been uh, initially in circuit design and I migrated uh, slowly into uh, the design, software design, where I've, I found that, uh, you know, designing circuit would be uh, a lot more effective with design tools that automate some of the tasks that are, you know, quite complex or repetitive. Um, and then I found my way into uh, the design team of UltraSpark, which is uh, one of the first 64-bit microprocessor uh, with Sun Microsystem, which was a, a fantastic experience. Uh, and then, uh, very, you know, gradually, I found that the sensors um, were kind of a, a, a domain that really uh, was exploding. It was called MEMS. Uh, microelectrical mechanical systems so sensors start to really uh, fall in the radar and uh, in uh, 2000 basically uh, I joined a company that we took public Uh, and uh, after a few years I found out there was basically even further activity in the sensor domain that I will will be able to uh, you know to develop and um, the more and more I had you know so many different projects that I understood, where are the challenges, where are the solution out there? It gave me, uh, you know, so many projects that I could better understand uh, how to apply them to a particular solution. And uh, in about 2008, uh, we started to be exposed with several uh, companies trying to address the uh, intraocular pressure monitoring. Um, Part of it was at Purdue University with, uh, um Pedro Irazoki who is right now at John Hopkins. Um, so we start looking into this. Uh, but again, the solution where we're just basically too too big, too, uh, I would say, too risky from a surgical point of view. And as you know, it's a key issue for a device. So uh, in about 2012-13, uh, about three years before starting injecttent, um, and my father, by the way, uh, was affected. Uh, my late father, because he passed away about two years ago, uh, he had a severe case of glaucoma, and that started to really uh, kind of trigger in my mind that there will be a better way to, to address glaucoma.
0: Yeah, and then it's so common for people to have this like very personal connection with the devices that or, or, or drugs that they wanna develop. Uh, but how was, uh, how was it managed, like I mean, the glaucoma that your father had? Like Did he eventually lose his vision?
1: Yeah, well, he lost his vision. Uh, he even lost the eye completely. Uh, <clears throat> the situation was pretty drastic for him. But um, the issue also was a drug was basically, uh, he was not tolerant for the drugs. Uh, he, he was, I mean, the whole disease management, the whole process was very painful for him. Uh, so I think when I saw this experience, I, it was clear to me that the way in the slippery slopes, uh, every, some of the cases that we know today are difficult to manage. We don't really understand some of the some other factors that create instability, that cause progression. And it's more than what we can you know, account today. In fact, when we discussed repair well, we could see that, uh, yes, there is a picture perfect, uh, you know, uh, 100% compliant patient, but that's, uh, that is maybe, you know, 30, 30 plus percent of the case and may not be uh, in that situation. So the first element that, that was kind of uh, giving me a pause was this tonometry archaic method from the fifties, um, which was basically a right roundabout way to measure pressure, but that's, that's all we had, all we had.
0: Yeah. And you know, like talking about compliance, right? Like, and some, even when patients are 100% compliant, like it it doesn't mean that the drug is actually working for them, right? Because there's a huge Mm -hmm, variability mm -hmm. of patients, how they will respond like to those drugs. And I mean, as Mm -hmm. we said in the beginning, like, I mean, you measure their IOP like twice a year, you had no idea like, I mean, how that IOP is uh, Mm -hmm. between visits and then maybe like that patient's being over medicated, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and then having to live for all the side effects of those drugs or mm-hmm. maybe worse. Like bit being, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. And then the, there's the other extreme opposite that patients are being under medicated. And then by, by luck, like it happens that like during the visit, their IOPs happen to be normal. And then yeah. like, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the treatment regimen, it's not, uh, it's it's not adapted to, to that particular case.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, to pinpoint what we keep hearing from my like and as you, uh, you know, we have uh, assembled a, a very tight, very closely coordinated group and thanks to them for where we are today. But I think the key element is we do know we have, uh, if, I, if I use the term blind spot in uh, in the monitoring, in particular in nocturnal phase where, you know, if you lay down and, Uh, Basically, uh, you're in a situation, your blood pressure goes lower, you're going to have an elevation of IOP, so what's happening to people with hypertension, if they take drugs late during the day, that would be even worse for them because of the combination effect. So clearly what happened is, it's not like we don't have the tool to acquire data, we have sensors everywhere. Um, but uh, today we even have sensor on, on your tire because they tell you they tell you that you know after a, a major uh, situation with Firestone and Goodyear, I mean always I, I think it was the yeah, Firestone and uh, and so on, they, they had to you know the law has to just put a, a sensor into all the tire. Um, obviously uh, the high is, is a bit more um, a bit more challenging in a way. So we uh, we basically say well. How do we measure pressure? And really, when we look at tonometry, it was really kind of, uh, you know, using this uh, uh, contact base or puff or whatever variation you, uh, you imagine. Um, it, is, it is also an equation that is sensitive to the cornea thickness, to many other aspects, to the calibration, to the user doing it. So it's full of, Uh, factors that that would affect the measurement even if you do it every six months even if you do it every minute you still don't have the most accurate uh, measurement but the way we were starting to think early on was a single data point doesn't give you a curve (laughs) and even if six months away and because we knew that the circadian cycle you know the period over over 24 hours, over and over again, would be a more reliable indicator of the true effectiveness of the disease, the actual behavior of IOP in the region where maybe the drugs or the device is less effective. So as soon as we start, you know, kind of asking what is the unmet need, uh, we felt that, well, to understand how to manage a therapy, we need to know what is IOP. And we concluded that, the current method doesn't give you an understanding about
0: people. Yeah and it, it there seems to be a, a trend on like it's a, it's a very fast growing market like of wearable devices that mm-hmm. give us a bit more control of uh what's going on in our bodies right like, so there's there are many devices now that track uh uh, mm-hmm. uh uh blood pressure like respiratory rate and like oxygen levels like sleep and like yep. gl- glycemic you know index and, and glucose. so on. glucose uh so i guess in jack sense it's it's right on their realm and to yep. to to give us like i mean a uh, more Long term, I guess, and only the control yep. of mm-hmm. uh, what's going on in our bodies. Uh, so, the is it the company focused exclusively on on IOP, or or the devices that you're developing have other uses as well?
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, you know to to finish it up on on IOP and and how the team you know just give you about the people. So, we co-founded the company with Enrique Malaret, um, and then we we had a team. And I think the reason why I want to go before, you know, going into uh, other application uh, shortly, um, the DNA of the company is one third uh, was previously uh, part of Metronic. and the two third rest in Silicon Valley are mostly semiconductor design, MEMS, IC, you name it. So, to to uh, to be successful in the undertake that we have with Ingenix Sense we really start focusing on what is the the mix of experience that we needed. And, you know, if you have done cardiovascular, you know, pacemaker and you it, which the experience is from the team in Minnesota, uh, we can manage your PMA class three devices uh, without, without any problems. We just have the, you know, the process and the rigorousness to uh, to address it. Uh, and then we can blend the semiconductor, you know, solution that, that we will, Applied to it, so going beyond that, because of this cardiovascular background, uh, we we decided to start with ophthalmology because we we saw the sensor as uh, very challenging as a complete system, but the one of the more one of the biggest challenges is what we call deep implant. Uh, In the case of intraocular pressure, uh, the sensor is uh, basically a few millimeter in the posterior chamber. We can reach the sensor uh, without too much problem for power and data. So that was for IOP. We also uh, looked at, you know, very uh, similar application. And another one is for neurosurgery. Uh, We have uh, also um, starting to develop uh, an application of a sensor for monitoring pressure and flow into a hydrocephaly's shunt valve.
0: So it, so f- at, at least for now, like the device is being designed to be placed within the fluid.
1: It, it is it's a fluid sensor. Uh-huh. Uh, absolutely. It's a sensor that has to be exposed to fluid. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, aqueous humor. It can be a vitreous humor. It could be a, a cerebral fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be blood. Uh, in the context of blood, uh, in that cases, uh, we most likely will talk uh, a deep implant, like for monitoring PAP, uh, which is you know, looking at the uh, uh, cardiac efficiency of the heart. So we we did not want to go directly on cardiac because of the challenge of uh, yeah
0: just just surgical like implantation I guess also
1: yeah it's it, it's basically another game and uh, yeah. we felt that we needed a stepping stone uh, to get before getting there.
0: Yeah, and then like glaucoma alone, it's a major undertaking. So I, I, I understand why like might you know, <laughs> be wise to take one step at a time. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we do it because we are uh, focused on, on a product. Uh, we are, uh, quote, uh, supply chain ready, whatever innovation mm-hmm. we are promoting. Uh, if we cannot develop, uh, you know, if we're not in millions of units, um, then the the viability of the solution is uh, is is not as as attractive. So uh-huh. from the get go, we have been focusing our solution to be uh, with design for manufacturing and design for tests. Uh, for the specialists of the domain. That means that we can understand the failure mode of our product, and it's a key element for safety. If the product uh-huh. fails, it's it's very uh, it's a big issue for our patient. Yeah.
0: And uh, I mean, talking about the approval process, I saw that, you know, your, the device was recently cleared by, by FDA. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with the process for drugs, but not so much for devices. Okay. So drugs, they only get FDA approved after they've been tested in patients. And then with yeah. devices, it's the opposite, isn't it?
1: Uh, well, first of all, to, to be uh, accurate on where we are right now, we're not yet approved for market release. Uh-huh. Uh, we but we received, uh, I mean that's where sometimes there's a confusion, we received the breakthrough device program designation, um, which allow us to have a, uh, a, a, a particular preferred access and communication link with the FDA. We also received a, um, a, an, you know I mean a research grant from um, the NIH or NEI, uh, which call called the spear grant, small business, um, innovation research grant, uh, which was a bit less than two million dollars. Um, so those two two accomplishments, which are no no, no easy feast. Uh,
0: no, definitely. Not. Yeah. Congrats, by the way. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Uh, we are basically now we you know we basically have validation uh, of our solution. Uh, so it's not yet approved per se, and we will be in human next year. By the way, Our pilot human study is targeted mid uh, next year. We, uh, we basically have the stamp of approval uh, as uh, you know a, a technology that would transform the way uh, glaucoma is, is managed. Uh, that's kind of the conclusion of a breakthrough device designation. Um, and now uh, the key element that we want to also is to reinforce uh, the partnership with, uh, within the preclinical studies. And in the context of the NIH, we have also uh, a subcontract with uh, John Hopkins um, University and specifically the Wilmer Eye Institute.
0: And w- and what uh, and which preclinical studies have been done or planned to be done? Is it in vitro or animals?
1: Oh, well, we already reached a uh, live animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we've done uh, basically implanting rabbits. Uh, the goal of the initial uh, animal study using rabbit was to validate that we can measure pressure uh, within the range of a tonopan. Um, so the first was to really uh, basically have a checkpoint: is the is the entire system working? And I'm going to announce that it is. We can uh, we can basically we basically connected an eyeball to the cloud.
0: And uh going a bit deeper on the technique or to implant Mm -hmm. the device and where that's where that's going to end so you mentioned already that's going to rest in the posterior chamber and for our audience like posterior chamber like right behind the iris uh so how does it get there is it a surgical procedure is it an injection and and how does it stay in place is it
1: suturing? Yeah, so the, the key element that we wanted to uh, address is, as you know, when you go to the operating room, uh, it's uh, about $2,000 just to walk in there. So the, we wanted to make sure that the cost barrier was as low as possible to get into the uh, into the, um, the implantation. But also, um, the first question, in fact, that was raised to, uh, to some of our career was, um, you know, how small the device has to be so that we can have the, the, the smallest incision that could be done in office. And, and basically what was what was indicated to us that we had to get, be at the moj gauge 19, which is about one millimeter. So one millimeter was kind of the, the width of the device that we were looking for later on, we, we realized that it could be a slightly larger, below two millimeter would be a self-healing, self-healing uh, incision. But what uh, came about is, 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 you know, a lot of people that we saw were going to the anterior chamber because that's where they think that the, the pressure is, I mean, that's what the reality is, where the pressure is uh, due to an inflow-outflow imbalance. So what happened is a lot of, uh, you know, research and a lot of innovation was done in the front of the eye, but um, maybe we were a bit contradictory to, uh, to the traditional approach. We say, well, the problem is the pressure is seen by the optic nerve head. So our conclusion was, if we can measure the pressure on the posterior chamber, we will see the pressure seen by the optic nerve, which is... Uh, the head, uh, which is where the, the pressure is actually, uh, you know, causing a thinning of uh, of the um, of the layers uh, that goes to to the uh, uh, the axon and, and the connection to the RGCs. So, going to the posterior chamber, suddenly uh, discussing with uh, Dr. Yanov and others. They say, well, you know, there's a technique that we use almost, uh, you know, every day by the millions is uh, IVT, intravitreal injection for macular degeneration. So that was kind of a eureka moment to say, well, if we can mimic an IVT, we would be falling in the footstep of a very safe and well understood procedure, except we don't do it every month. We do it once a year. I mean, uh, once for the lifetime of the patient. So that was the idea what uh, the, the pattern we have. In fact, we have blocking pattern in that domain is uh, using a, a, an injection of a sensor using an IVT method.
0: So the device stay in the vitreous?
1: So the, the device is anchored in the sclera. It, it goes through the conjunctiva, the tenon, tenon capsule, episcleral layers. Then we go all the way uh, into the, through the vitreous base and the device is measuring away from the retina and the lens safely. Is measuring the pressure in the vitreous.
0: And and is it like so? It it stays anchoring to the injection to the site. To the sclera. Mm, yeah. So it's not like free floating. Inside oh no,
1: you, you can <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you you have to be anchored, and it's a self-anchoring mechanism that uh, is uh, pretty well understood. Uh, uh-huh. it, the mechanism. That we have also not only self-healing, but we shift the conjunctiva during the procedure. We shift the conjunctiva. We we do the incision, and then once we release the device, the conver- conjunctiva will be shifted from the head of the device. So you are minimizing the risk of uh, con- uh, a conjunctiva.
0: And is it visible, like after it's no. inserted?
1: Yeah, we will see a little gray, a real gray kind of area. The, the device is about one point seven millimeter width, uh, you know, four point five millimeter length, and a half a millimeter in thickness.
0: And you you, you mentioned that the device stays there for life, and uh, mm-hmm. so it opens up a bunch of questions that I might have. The first one <laughs> is that, uh, uh, how do you charge it? Because I, I mean, I, I believe it needs like a bit of a battery or something. To-
1: yes, so uh, that's one of the innovation that we have is uh, we've been able to uh, um, to license a technology uh, in uh, uh, which has been developed for the last uh, fifteen years by CEA in France. It's a solid state battery, and, and this battery is. Uh, within the stack, so it doesn't, you know, it's not larger. It's not like you have a, <laughs> a car battery on your highball. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the, the device volume is uh, two and a half cubic millimeter, including the battery. Um, so we're charging uh, the device uh, basically with the, the pair of glasses. Um, you charge the battery about, it'll take about five minutes because we only discharge for one week. A quarter of the battery, so we oversized the battery, but we have the. uh, We are lucky enough to have a very high, uh, some of the highest energy density, Um, and that way, you know, we minimize the charge time, but the download of the data only only take about one second.
0: So to to charge it better, just put some eyeglasses on, and takes five minutes, and the thing is charged, and you you don't. You
1: You do once a week. Yeah, once a uh, week. Collect uh, during the, the 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 data collection. By the way, the key element also, because uh, we thought that we didn't want to overburden the, ch- the patient, you know, like you see with eye care and other devices to do home monitoring, you have to intervene. The patient has to do something, stick something in his eyeball. Um, that's never pleasant. That could be yeah. cause of injury. So we we decided to take an autonomous approach, which is very important. In fact, that's something that the NIH and the FDA recognize as a key uh, Key parameter to uh, switch the paradigm and the autonomous mode to give you an idea we are consuming an average of 20 nanowatt uh of power so we we're doing a design that is extremely low power extremely efficient and in the future we may use also optical charging
0: and you uh, you also mentioned also that the data needs to be downloaded uh, so mm-hmm. it is not uh it is not continuously synced for example like there's no uh, there's no app for example for the patients just to see like oh this how much my Iop is right now
1: you you could um mm. we uh, <clears throat> by the way uh a lot of the uh, ophthalmologists will uh, will rather have you know less data with the patient because that may be confusing for him
0: yeah because you know it we know that it i mean we we have an idea how much it fluctuates but like we really don't because like we, we never have a device like that right so we might we might come up with a surprise like to, to, to see how much that thing fluctuates and it might be scary for the patient exactly so
1: i think what we're going to do uh we believe that the communication replacement especially with covid you know as people don't want to see an ophthalmologist for the risk of being uh, affected so our devices is really a poster child for telemedicine
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but i think what is important is to re-establish uh, a communication between the patient and also uh, and the physician, but also give a sense of uh, you know give a sense of uh, uh, responsibility for taking the drops, for looking at the app, which will tell them if they are compliant. Um, as you probably know, uh, the majority of patients in glaucoma use a topical drug. Sometimes they use one, two, a combination of. So it's a challenge, you know, if somebody is 80 years old and have to put the drops, uh, it's, it's difficult. So uh, if you provide a guidance uh, when the drops didn't reach the eyes so you don't have the, the effect you're looking for, um, if you wear the glasses, uh, let's say you put them on, you keep them on, the, the monitoring can be continuous but it can be uh, accessible, the data can be accessible Live by the patient, so you can stream the date the IOP data. Um, <clears throat> even if you put a like an eye mask, like if you sleep, the person could be monitored remotely, uh, continuously, and the data will stream into a, a, an office or so the nurse can look at it uh, real time. So, yes, we are doing um, data storage so monitoring, you know, autonomously, but the device if you have the wearable, can provide a continuous data chain from the sensor to the cloud and to a live uh, session of monitoring IOP.
0: So basically, you have a device that can be implanted like in the office that lasts Mm -hmm. a lifetime, can be charged in five minutes and offers continuous IOP monitoring. Like It's a pretty cool elevator pitch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's, uh, something we built over time. Uh, you know, the battery has a, a 80 years lifetime because it's about, you know, several thousand cycles and we do one cycle of partial discharge. Um, the technology, by the way, a key element is our device is hermetic. Uh, we provide hermeticity so that uh, isolate the electronic from the media. Uh, and it's truly hermetic that we tested it. It's, it's very, very uh, well uh, established from, a, you know, we did accelerated lifetime testing. So we know the device Will last, you know, fifty or more years. So the the way we implemented, if the anchoring is is solid, which we have evidence, um, <clears throat> the device really is dormant most of the time, and uh, is basically, uh, you know, very efficient from an energy point of view, um, and uh, the patient will not even know he has the device.
0: So in terms of timeline. Uh, you said like it's planned for spring next year to 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 start being yep. in, 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 current, human. in, in humans, and from that time on, like how long do you kind of estimate? Obviously, you not know, like I mean that it will be like available for for market.
1: Yeah. So currently, um, we uh, obviously we are now in a phase of preparing for uh, uh, basically uh, um, uh, GLP studies and going to. Uh, an IDE. So uh, before going to an IDE, we felt that uh, we, we need obviously to do a preclinical GLP studies to uh, make sure it's safe and effective. And uh, we will do a, um, a pilot human study uh, next year in Chile. Um, and we have already all the protocol defined. Several IKOL well will travel with us. We are going to be uh, very involved. In fact, for the first several thousand patients, we will follow it very closely, similar to what uh, some cardiac company were doing. You follow the patient, you you uh, certify the the injection, um, and then you have you know the safest context. So next year we're going to be in pilot in human. Twenty twenty four, we will uh, do a, we will uh, do an IDE submission, which allow us to start uh, a clinical studies. And the process will take us into 2025 for market wins.
0: And uh, can the device detect anything other than IOP, like pH or like cytokines? I don't know.
1: Okay, so I mean, we could uh, we could have other mode. Uh, the mode that uh, I think has been a little bit um, interesting for us is uh, basically we can turn the device into uh, basically a, a oxygen sensor. Uh, so we can do oximetry in the eye. Uh, this is a little bit uh, still under wrap, but that would be quite interesting if you see the uh, saturation of oxygen crashing down. Maybe you have a sleep apnea situation. So this is one mode that, that we, uh, we believe is, I mean, it's durable. The technology is in front of us. Um, we have another domain. In fact, we, we recently uh, filed some, uh, some provisional patents uh, and I will not be able to go too deep into it, but we can turn our device into an active uh, drainage device.
0: All right. Well, that all sounds very exciting, and also a lot of work ahead of you. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's good to know. I mean, this is not for the team, and uh, uh, this is not a job. Uh, this is a mission for us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we uh, we see patient, you know, and as I said, I I've got a personal experience. I don't wish to anybody uh, to go through and. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's motivating. Uh, we have a tremendous. Uh, <clears throat> we're starting to, in fact, uh, uh, develop uh, uh, a patient advocate relationship. Uh, we we want to uh, to connect, obviously, to uh, care to ophthalmologists. We we design it with them for them. Uh, we also want to work closely with patients because uh, they need uh, they need the tool to help themselves to to better manage. Uh, their responsibility during you know, the treatment of glaucoma. And uh, in the longer term, we also believe that uh, um, the company will have to have a philanthropic initiative where our devices, which is uh, you know, from a supply chain, it's a, a low cost of manufacturing per se. Uh, we should be able to reach out to uh, you know, African country and help them to uh, address a disease that is uh, very, uh, very devastating in Africa and all the country.
0: Yeah, and then knowing that compliance is directly related to economic status, like the need is just graded, right? Like in, in in those countries that do not have such a like yeah. ophthalmology network to 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 supply them.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no infrastructure. I mean, I had the the uh, pleasure to send my daughter to Tanzania. She uh, <clears throat> she experienced, you know, what's happening in the side village and, and you know, uh, the infrastructure they have, uh, but they all have a cell phone. So if you provide the device and a pair of glasses, they would be all uh, being, you know, being monitored uh, and the doctors anywhere will be able to, uh, you know, to basically help them out. And as you probably know, these are uh, a flying uh, cataract surgery plane with Obis.
0: Yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had someone from Orbis, like Bradley uh, yeah. at our at our show uh, at yeah, our yeah, podcast exactly. so like we, a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, we we will definitely uh, find a way to implant the device uh, in, in the you know in this kind of setting. Uh, as I said, uh, we we will focus obviously on uh, the US Europe, but I think uh, the platform we have and uh, we we should be able to find. Um, a couple of other foundation to work with us and uh, reach out to an African country and all this.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you. I'm sure you will. The need is there, and you know if the device works, it's, yep. it's no brand.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that's what we've done. I mean, it's uh, It's been uh, eight years. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, a journey that we're not rushing through it. Uh, we currently in a, in a series C of funding. Uh, we got. Um, you know, I think the, the people, uh, I mean, the investor we see right now, they understand where we're going. Um, and uh, I think uh, uh, down the line, the, you know, we will have all the resources to go to even faster.
0: Perfect. Uh, Ariel, know how busy you are. Like, I mean, I want to be mindful of your time. I'd like to like, thank you again. For oh, share, thanks, sharing sharing uh, opportunity everything you're doing any final words like before you wrap this up
1: yeah I mean uh, thanks again for for the opportunity and uh, uh we're working out to make that available as you know safely and with all the regular regulatory constraints but i think the the path ahead of us is, is very promising
0: yeah I know it, it seems clear that your your company is reaching a tipping point and like exciting things will come in the near future absolutely thanks. Good. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. Hi. Right. Bye-bye. And that concludes today's episode of the broad eye podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome. And you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening.